You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Yabba-dabba-doo, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are here to talk all about the 60th anniversary of the Flintstones. That's right, folks. We're here with Fred, Wilma, Barney, and, of course, Betty, and we are going to... uh, Visit a classic, you know, classic, true classic cartoon that, you know, we all grew up with. And obviously, because, you know, we don't have, I looked at our numbers and we don't have many listeners over 60 anyway. So we all grew up with it. So I'm going to guarantee almost on that one. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about the folks from Bedrock. And they are a modern Stone Age family. So I'm hitting all the cliches before Mike Gordon gets in here. So it's, you know, we're ready for it. So here is my Barney himself, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. And I didn't remember Barney doing that, though. (laughs) No, no. Barney is more like a... (laughs) Hey, Fred. Come here, Fred. (laughs) So, awesome. This is going to be fun. We are going to have a yabba-dabba-doo time. Oh, uh, yabba time? time. Yeah, we're going to have a gay old time here. Well, if Darren was on, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is, yeah. The Flintstones, I don't think you can run out of iconic phrases, moments, uh, things about this series. So, uh, so inspirational, so much a, a fixture of our pop culture. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about. We've got some good guys to talk about. It. Actually, I think, um, you know, everybody, I think every, it's, it's really unique that everybody I think is joining us today is named Mark. So, exactly. uh, so we got two mics and a bunch of marks on this show. Yeah, we do. We do, we do. And we also have, you know, a little bit of a special thing because this is the beginning of our 12th season of Earth Station Woo! 1. So, you know, we're going to be up there eventually the 60th anniversary of the Earth Station One podcast. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a ways. Oh, well, you know, we first have to get past the Simpsons and then we'll be <laughs> up there, you know, so we'll, we'll wait and see. But yeah, it should be a lot of fun to talk all about this one. And, you know, we also have great interview in a little bit and you know real little bit right after we're done talking here we're going to be talking to mark scheffler and he actually has a huge history and you know if he gets it takes a minute to take a breath you know he'll let us you know ask him some questions maybe We'll have to see. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys also so please write us at feedback at herstation1.com Definitely would love to hear what you have to say, what's going on, what do you have you know, going on in your life and everything. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. A big shout out also. We haven't been saying this enough, but we want to do a huge, huge, huge shout out to our patrons. Our patrons are our lifeblood here on Earth Station One and the rest of the shows on the ESO Network. And you too could help support the ESO Network for as little as 25 cents a week. That's $1 a month, folks, for those who don't know how to add. And you too can support us. All you have to do is go to ESO Network up on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash ESO Network. 
not too hard. And we have four tiers of support. And, you know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys up there. And we'd love to give you some special swag and everything as a thank you from ESO Network to our patrons. So, yes, please check out the ESO Network Patreon. Also, we cannot get through this beginning without talking about Tofosi Optics. Tofosi Optical, that is our friends, our sponsor, and they do a really cool pair of sunglasses, folks. We got glasses, we got uh, blue light blocking glasses, we got sunglasses, we got safety goggles, we also have face shields. It's pretty darn awesome what the phones at Tofosi Optics are doing. You can custom make any of your sunglasses to whichever color you wish and however you want to have them laid out and stuff. And if you have a prescription, they take care of that also. All you have to do is go to TofosiOptics.com and put in the coupon code EarthStation1, and you know what? You get 10% off your whole order. Just not one pair of glasses, but your whole order. And so, please, check them out. We definitely would love you to help support our sponsor. That makes us look good, makes you look good. We all look good in the end. Tofosi Optics. And now we're here with new friend of the show, Mark Scheffler, who is an extraordinary, immature actor, writer, comedy writer. He does it all. Welcome to the show, Mark. Nah, well, I don't do it all. Talk to my wife. Okay. <laughs> There's lots of stuff I don't do. She'll give you a list. <laughs> uh, we are honored to have you join us on the station, sir. Oh, no, man. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, let's start, like, you know, let's go way back. Uh, how did you get started in this uh, crazy entertainment business? Um, all right. So the first real, I mean, I was a little kid who... Um, Love variety entertainment when I was, mm -hmm. when I, I, you know, I'd watch the Ed Sullivan show. I'd watch some, all, all the shows that had comedians on, uh, got my attention. And I knew comedians in my head. Like I it was just always, cause laughter being funny was a way to get out of trouble. And it was also a way to ingratiate yourself to people. And I, I didn't have much going for me physically. So I had to like develop something. So, uh, um, and then I, I, a turning event, um, I'm going to plug the book I'm writing, but, but, but it, oh, yeah. it, it, it's a major part of the book it, it is uh, that when I was 10 years old, my father uh, in the run up to my birthday said, well, what would you like this year? And uh, he said, you know, it's 10 years old. It's an important birthday. You know, go, go from single digits to double digits. You get, well, what would you like? So I said, um, I went to three stooges and he got them for me. Wow. Uh, what? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, I know. See, I'm going to give you guys a good interview here. Um, <laughs> I had no doubt about that, Mark. I really had no go. doubt. No, I've got, man, I got stories to tell. Um, <laughs> so uh, they were play. my birthday is in September. So my dad said, uh, uh, I'll arrange it when the Stooges are here. So what he did was uh, they, they were playing at a, a, a gig at the Holiday House uh, the following January. Uh, Holly House a nightclub outside of Pittsburgh where I grew up. And um, he, once they were in town, he got a hold of them and, you know, made a deal with them to perform at a private birthday party that he threw for me out there that had like 60 guests, my friends and their parents. And it was like a private little uh, hour and a half show with the Stooges. Wow. And, yeah. And so, so now I'll tie it into my, my life and my career. That was the day my life changed. That was the day. That was the day uh, uh, the universe lit a path for me. Uh, during the course of the party, 
the Stooges are doing their act. And I knew all their material because, you know, I was one of those kids who was a huge Stooge fan, right? So it's my, my generation. Uh, come home, uh, turn on the TV and watch, you know, three hours of nonstop Stoogery. So uh, uh, they, Mo stops the show and he says, as everybody here knows, it's Mark's birthday, Mark's 10th birthday. And we'd like Mark to come up on stage. Oh, so wow. I, I, I thought, wow. Wow. Okay. So I get up on stage with them. And, you know, they go through these little introductions, which I'm sure they've gone, they went through like a thousand times with other kids. And, and um, uh, I start doing them, you know, I start doing their, their bits and Mo knew that I knew them. So they start doing them. Now I, I hear, I got lights in my eyes. I have a microphone in my hand. I'm 10 years old and I hear laughter coming back at me and it hit me. Like, uh, you know, like I hear from people who are heroin junkies that what it's like the first time they shoot heroin and like, you know, like they're, they're wrapped by a white dragon or something. Well, this was like, this is what happened to me. I got hit with this wave of warmth and, and acceptance and comfort and, and joy. And it kept on going because I did like, you know, five, six minutes with them. So much so that Mo put his hand on my forehead and uh, um, uh, dubbed me the fourth stooge. Oh wow, that that's in, that's incredible to to not only have seen the Stooges live, but to actually have uh, worked with them. Well, here, here's the thing: I knew that that was the day where I said, "Yeah, I'm going into this. I'm I'm going to be doing this. I'm 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 I got to do this." So um, that's what happened. I, I I came off of that event and pretty much steered the rest of my life uh, yeah, I could see that in that direction I just you know it, it was just and I, I mean I, I was a clown I've always I've never been a serious person uh, I've avoided like growing up I really when I when I call myself immature my wife who's 17 years younger than me and gorgeous and Colombian uh, says all the time uh, what are you a child and I just go yeah you know and I go, then what? Well, then she has nothing else to say. I don't argue with her. I don't try to, you know, no, I'm Captain Maturity. No, I'm, you know who I am. <laughs> I you, knew what you, you knew what you were getting. Come on. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a good guy. You know, we have fun. And so, like, you know, uh, I'm immature at times. Who cares? That uh, that stand-up role, though, the stand-up comedian role, my, my imagination of it anyway, is that it? That's a... That's a pretty tough gig, right? That's a pretty tough living. I know that um can be if you're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh certainly in its I mean, I think uh you were involved in it during we'll say its heyday, right? Well, I was involved in I was part of uh um uh that that first real new wave of comedy that came out of like kind of like um you know the after the Alan Kings of the world, that, that, that was a certain era and okay. terrific practitioners. And then there was like a, a bridge era, like uh, David Steinberg and, and uh, Bob Klein and Dick Cavett and Woody Allen and those guys, but Woody went off to do films. There weren't a whole lot of people there. And then it kind of took a little dive and then Bud opened the improv uh, in New York uh, or late sixties. And that started to attract, but he was, then still singers and comedians. It wasn't pure comedy. And then uh, um, 
I worked, I, I worked at the, like I told you guys earlier, I worked at the Raleigh uh, as a stage manager for a little over a year and change, right? Like a little year and change. And um, met every comedian on that circuit, you know, just, just got a, an education like you can't, you can't imagine. It's like, you know. Uh, that must have been perfect because that's the, that's still the era of the Borschbell comedians. Exactly. It was, okay. it, you know, when I, I went, to, I dropped out of college my end of my second year. I was at LSU in Baton Rouge. And I went, actually went to school with David Duke, uh, oh, one, yeah. one, of, one of America's <laughs> foremost civil rights activists. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. You know, just for wife. the other side. Your wife. <laughs> then, then yeah, you don't, you don't have to explain why you left yeah. college. So, so, <laughs> and, and to David's, to David's credit, he was an asshole then and he's an asshole now. He is, you know, man's consistent. So, um, I, I went back to Pittsburgh and talked to my dad and told him I wanted to come to California. And my dad said, nah, he said, not yet. He said, go to New York first. Go, go, go to the, in fact, go to the Catskills. So what my dad did was he staked me gave me a bunch of money and bought me a plane ticket and arranged the limo to drive me from uh, LaGuardia up to the Catskills, up to Monticello. Now in, in Monticello, Mike, there used to be a, an employment agency called the meat off employment agency. And it was owned and operated by this old Jewish woman, Rose Meadoff. So I get there and uh, uh, one night, like right before the 4th of July in 1969, right, right before the, the summer was about to kick off. I go to this employment agency and uh, she sends me out on a job that the people at the hotel like me, but it turns out it was an Orthodox Jewish hotel. And because I was Jewish, I wasn't going to, they wanted what's known in, in uh, uh, Orthodox and uh, uh, more uh, severe circles as a, a Shabbos Goy. They wanted uh, a non-Jewish person to do all the things, mechanical things like turn the lights off, run errands. And, you know, do things that that Jewish people were prohibited by the Sabbath uh, uh, from doing. So I didn't fit that bill. So there I was sitting in the woman's office. It's like getting late. I have money in my pocket. I know that, you know, if I had to, I get a hotel, but I don't really want to spend that money. So uh, like almost as they were about to close, a call from the Raleigh comes in and they needed someone on the athletic staff uh, uh, because somebody uh, uh, took another job. And they didn't make it. They need an emergency. They, does she have anybody? So she looked at me, you know, and I, you guys can't see me, but trust me, athlete is not a descriptor of mine. Uh, <laughs> and no, not, not, not because I'm old, right? Not just because, because never in my life would anyone go, there's an athletic guy. Uh, never. So, so um, I said, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I was on the LSU's baseball team. And, and she said, really? I said, yeah, I played second base. So she said, well, oh, I got a guy who was on LSU's uh, baseball team, played second base. Yeah, send him right over. So, so, you know, wow. I go to the hotel and the guy who hires me, uh, a big <laughs> guy, uh, a strapping kind of athletic looking guy, you know, uh, uh, hires me. So you played for LSU. I said, yeah, I heard that conversation. I didn't tell her that. I told her that I went to LSU games. And I knew people on the team and I hung out with them. I don't know how, but I know a lot about baseball. I, you know, I, I did. I played when I was a kid. So I, you know, like reinvented myself again. So now I work with this, this guy uh, uh, hires me and uh, gets me set up in a room. And then says, hey, listen, uh, come on by my room. Uh, after you get settled, I'll tell you how things work and what you're going to do. And we'll sit down and have a beer. So I thought to myself, hmm, okay. 
So uh, I go and I get, and I go back and uh, I, I'm not there like 10 seconds. The guy puts his hand on my leg. Oh, you know? and, and, yeah. Yeah, because it, well, it was longer than 10 seconds. I, he said, so really, why are you here? And I told him about wanting to be a comedian and everything. And he puts his hand on my leg. He says, I know people who can help you. And I said, well, you can help yourself by getting your hand off my fucking leg. So, so he got startled. And, and I said, look, I'm not looking for trouble here. Not my scene. Don't put it down. Okay. It's okay. I knew a lot of gay guys, bus boys when I was a kid. They're great guys. You guys are fun. You know, you wear clothes on Halloween. You can't wear the rest of the year. I get it. So, so um, he starts laughing at me. And I said, look, if this is what I got to do to keep this job, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll see you later. I don't need to do this. So he said, no, 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 no. You can still have the job. So I keep the job. Uh, um, and over the weekend, I find out that they're down a stage. The stage manager never showed up. And now it's for, you know, you know, that era, right? My 4th of July. That's when the oh, summer. Right. Yeah. Off. That's summertime. That's yeah. the, it, most people think in up North that it's Memorial day, but in the mountains, it's 4th of July. That's Fourth when it's July. the seasons. 4th of July. So, yeah. so now, now the Raleigh, now they don't have a stage manager and they've got a 1500 seat nightclub. So I overhear this from Sid Zalkin, the manager, the general manager of the hotel. And uh, uh, um, I tell them, well, I can do it. What do you mean you can do it? Ah, kidding. I was a drama major in college. We used to run light boards all the time. Had to as part of the curriculum. Really? Absolutely. So they take me and show me the light board and they show me the, the spotlight. I say, yeah, I can handle this. I had no idea. I'd never touched any of it. Ever in my life, right? <laughs> Never touched any of it, but it was a it was a permanent gig, right? It was a whole it was a gig for the summer for a whole day, <laughs> whole year. So I learned. I taught myself that day how to use a carbon arc spotlight and lights, and I learned. And I stayed there, and that led to me working with every comedian on that circuit more than one time over the summer, like Mal Lawrence and uh, Freddie Roman and Larry Alpert and Larry Best and Bernie Burns. And Lou Menchel and London Lee. You remember London Lee? Yeah, I think Rich so. Rich kid? Oh, yes, 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 yes. That guy. That yes. guy. So I met him early on. He was friends. The owners liked him of the, of the Raleigh. They liked him. So they used to hire him all the time. So like three or four times into his, into his appearances, uh, he, he, we start becoming friendly. So then later on in the year, he tells me his on a gig. He tells me his road manager is leaving to do another for another job, and if I want a job, it's open. I can. He'll move me to New York, uh, set me up in a place to live, and uh, you know, that's that. So uh, that's that's how I that's how I got from LSU to the city. That's awesome! Wow. How did you get involved with like the horror movie genre and such? Um, I know a lot yeah, of folks. yeah. You were there for yeah, you were there for Wes Craven's first movie. Yes, I was. And so after after I I worked with London for about a year, and it ended culminating at the Copacabana at a two week gig at the Copa. Uh, at the Copa. So, Copa. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so so and a good Barry Manilow. So you should be proud of yourself. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I had gotten myself as a comedian. I had gotten myself a manager. Uh, uh, the manager who worked for the same company that had Tom Jones and Engelbert Humperdinck at the time, Lloyd Greenfield Management, and their offices were in Rockefeller Center. So uh, Dick Towers was my manager. And uh, one day I walked in 
And he said to me, uh, I'm going to put you in a movie. He said, really? He said, yes, yeah, not, not a big time movie, but it's going to be a movie. And I said, okay. He said, here, he hands me a piece of paper. And he says, go down to uh, like 46th Street between uh, uh, 5th and 6th and go in the building up to the 6th floor and ask for two guys, Wes and Sean. Remember that, Wes and Sean. I didn't write it down, Wes and Sean. So I go there and I do the audition and I come back. And by the time I came back to Dick's office, he says, they want you. They got you. You're in. You get, you're the guy. They just called. You're the guy. You're, you're going to be. So it was Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham. And, and uh, suddenly I'm in a movie. Suddenly we, I'm in Connecticut. I'm shooting a movie. And holy I'm really doing this. So, <laughs> you know, that's how it happened. Now, I know that that was, so that's your first movie. And of course, that's the first, uh, you know, feature film that Craven directs. I, I don't know if you were able to know this then, but did he seem like he knew what he was doing? Did that, was that a smooth production? Um, yeah, it was, Wes had, a, in, had an innate ability to tell a story. So what, and he had been editing before, you know, he'd been making money doing editing porn movies, actually, and some other So it's great training for a director to have been an editor because you, you understand, Mm -hmm. you know, how scenes are shot and how they're put together. So he had, he he had given himself a, a a terrific foundation. Plus he was a great guy. He was just the nicest guy. He was like, you know, no drama Wes. It was just, you know, very low key on the set, just sweet guy. Very sad. Oh yeah, that he's no longer with us, of course. Um, but man, did he make an impact? Not just in the in that genre, but in pop culture. In pop culture, no, he became iconic. He's uh, you know, and he, he, I saw him about, I'm gonna say about a year, year and a half before he passed away. I was at a, I was invited uh, uh, to be a guest at an art gallery opening. Someone had done a rendering, a multimedia rendering of his movies, of scenes from his movies. So mm-hmm. he, they invited him to, and I, we entered shortly within the same time frame and looked at each other and just kind of just shook our heads and laughed, you know, and just, just go, <laughs> wow. You know, from those, from, from the woods in Connecticut to fucking here, look, look, look what happened. And we had a wonderful talk for about a half hour and had a wonderful conversation. So. Nice. Uh, I want to do a complete sort of sort of 180 here because I have to talk to you about another uh, iconic person that you uh, worked with in pop culture. And that is with uh, Mel Blanc on uh, yes. How Bugs Bunny Won the West. Correct. Um, how did you get involved with that? I had an agent at uh, uh, William Morris name, uh, whose name was Jane Sindel. And she later then went on to become a big time uh, motion picture agent over at CAA. And she just uh, had a friend at Warner Brothers, who also who was an agent, uh, Beth Uffner, uh, became was the, an executive at Warner Brothers at the time, and uh, then became an agent at ICM, and then with her own agency, uh, Broder Curlin, Webb, and Uffner. And um, you know, Jane was a great agent because my first year as a client, or my first few months as a client of William Morris, uh, she had me go around to meet people. I know I was like the, the new crop of writers, so of comedy writers. So she, pre, before pilot season, 
the, a good agent or and managing team will set up meetings with their clients and uh, uh, production companies and networks just so they put a name to a face, a face to a name, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, one of the people I met with was Beth Uffner, who was at then, sorry, then at Warner Brothers Comedy and Television. They were doing a half hour special, a live action and animated special uh, called How Bugs Bunny Won the West. And they wanted a writer, a real writer, not an animated writer, an animation writer. I wanted a comedy writer to structure the story and uh, put it into half hour form. So uh, they, I went over, I had a couple of meetings. I, then I met the then head of Warner brothers, a guy by the name of Frank Barton. We got along, you know, uh, uh, he said, okay. And then I had the gig. So I had to go and and to the animation department, to the guy who, in, who was in charge of, they had a guy, I don't know if they still do, but they had a guy, if you look at the credits, there's credits by the name of, uh, Hal Greer, right. Or gear Greer. I don't know. One of gear Greer. So, so, um, he was in charge of Bugs, uh, uh, Daffy, um, Wiley Coyote, the Roadrunner. Like, see, like six characters. And in his office, he had like life-size stuffed versions. Like, like, like you're on an acid trip, man. Like you walk in there, and <laughs> wow. there they are. They're like, like a six fucking Bugs Bunny. You know, like you're on the Harvey set. So um, I did it, and I put the guy. Watched uh, all the all the cartoons that had western themes in them and uh picked out the footage uh wrote a story and suddenly i write a special with bugs bunny so and mel blank i don't know that's uh that's awesome that that's like that yeah that has to be a dream come true one of those dream come true it's funny because the you're you're getting the theme of my book but my book is called (laughs) my no my book is called as luck would have it the story, uh, the story of me and my very successful mediocre career. It's like, you know, I had all these experiences, right? I, I have more stories than you, but but you know, it's it's all part of this big thing that 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 I lived and and continue to live. You know that they continue to to have these these things. So it, it's it's kind of fun actually. Yeah, well, in addition to the book, what what's going on with you now? Certainly, you know, it's been an interesting year or so uh, for us all. But it's certain has it gotten you a chance to 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 do much? Well, for the past fourteen months, uh, um, I've done nothing but listen to rock music, uh, <laughs> sit on sit on my couch, smoke weed, uh, eat pizza, avoid haircuts, and have sex with my old lady. So thanks to COVID-19, it's the 60s again. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you. But, but That is not a bad life, my friend. No, it's not. That really is not you a know, bad life. I've been very lucky. Like I said, luck, as luck would have it, I've been like really lucky and life is good to me. My wife and I just bought a house uh, in January. Uh, so now we have a place in L.A. and we have a place in the desert. That's where I am now. Uh, so as far as I was, I was back doing stand up before the pandemic. Um, I was back doing stand up and mm-hmm. having a ball, you know, no pressure because you know I, re- I really wasn't looking for a career. Uh, so how is how would you say the scene is now compared to back then? Because it's it must have gone through tons of changes. Obviously, well, here's the thing: I, I don't want to be. You're asking me for something that's going to sound judgmental. So, so. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm not looking like, for that. But I, I mean, just I, sort of. I think that there are 
I, I don't think in terms, I don't think the tal the, the, it's a very deep bench right now. Um, I think there are a few people who are okay, but there, the one thing that I and, and other comedians, uh, famous and not of my generation have noticed about a lot of, uh, millennial comedians is that they have some interesting concepts, but they don't have any punchlines. They just, they've, they've kind of abandoned the whole concept of setup and punchline. So they're like, hmm. set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. Oh, isn't that cute? Ha ha ha. There isn't any, like, when I, there isn't anything that brings it home. Yeah. Like, like one, one of the rites of passage of my era was to follow Robin Williams at the comedy store. Mm. Hey, nobody, mm. I, nobody I know ne- in, in, of my crew didn't go through that, right? So we did it. You know, you just, you know, we, we were kids. We don't even think about it. Because we like Rob. Rob was a good guy. He was terrific. You know, he, he did take a lot of oxygen out of the audience. I tell you that. But <laughs> no, but to his credit, he earned it, right? The guy was yeah, yeah. brilliant. The guy, he earned it. No, no oh, one yeah. gave it to him. I don't think anybody would question that. No, mm-hmm. not at it. all. So, 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 uh, but it was a rite of passage. You know, you, 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 you were part of that era. Sometime it was going to happen. Well, we learned to cope with it. Okay, uh, uh, it would it put a lot of these kids in therapy uh, to have to do that. They would just, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to do it. It was just because their material isn't strong, right? There's like. Uh, uh, even if they're even if they're getting like, these, these laughs, these these silly laughs, their material isn't that strong. And I hate to be judgmental, and I'm probably you know, but I'm not an angry old man. You know, it's like I've had a nice right, right. year. I I'm just it's just a it's a creative observation. Not everybody like John Mulaney. You know who John Mulaney is? Oh yeah, I think of course. Been, I've seen him live in the club. Right? He's terrific. Uh-huh. He's he's probably one of the best I've seen of the new kit, new new prop. He's absolutely terrific. And I mean, like, super terrific. He's smooth. Audiences love him. His material is terrific. He performs it well. I saw him one night at the comedy store, and I thought to myself, wow, this guy is good. He's just good, you know? Uh, so um, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of millennial comedians. They're, they're friends of them. Uh, some of them, you know, who know me well call me for advice. Joke advice, and you know, you want to hear this. And I'm, my advice is always the same. Well, where's the punchline? You know, you got to have a punchline. Here, this was an example of a punchline. <laughs> where's the funny, basically? Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've, I've been going on stage not as me. I, uh, oh, really? Yeah. I, I, um, I was, I, let me digress for a sec. In 2015, I was uh, hit by a car in Toluca Lake. And uh, I was racked up pretty badly, you know, really broken everything. So um, in my recovery, you know, as I was recovering, uh, I used to trip out a lot and, and think of those days when I was on stage, you know, how much fun that was. And it made me feel good. It was like better than medicine, except for the weed I was uh, consuming. Um, so I wanted to go back to do stand up. So I started hanging out at the comedy store and. Uh, had a great time. Everybody was very respectful. You know, my some five some friends is still there, so they kind of reintroduced me to the staff and everybody. You know, everybody's really nice. And I've been to some events there. And you know, when Mitzi passed away, I was an invited guest to her memorial. So it's just you know, kind of reintegrating myself. 
So I decided, yeah, I was going to do it. And then I, I was sitting in there one night and I was watching somebody, Bobby Lee or somebody who's, who's good. And I was saying, yeah, no one's going to get me. You know, it's like a moment of realization, right? Where, you know, you know, it's not like anyone's not, not like I became like a household name, right? Like I'm not, I'm barely a household name in my own household. So uh, I stopped. So then I, 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 I get hit by a car and I go through this recovery and everything. And, and I'm in the shower one day and I got very angry at myself. I have a, you can't see it, but I have a very long beard, like a really, really long beard. Uh, and I had it then, you know, so I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, yeah, you're nothing but like a shriveled up old guy. You know, you had your fun, leave it for the kids. Don't just go off into the sunset you know, take your cheese and be glad you have it and forget it. And I just, you, you know, you're who no one's going to care. So I looked at myself in the mirror and I started to see, not me, but I started to see these old Jewish men that lived in the neighborhoods where, that I grew up in, these old Hasidic Orthodox guys. So I said to myself, you know, uh, don't go away. So I went in, I put on a black suit and a white shirt, a black tie and a hat that I had. And I came in and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, well, now they'll listen to you. Now they'll listen to you. So I created a character named El Yid. And uh, El Yid. Yeah, El Yid. <laughs> I'll send you, I, I did some TV. I did a, a comedy store thing on TV and I'll send you the video. Um, and I wrote it for six months because, you know, it could have just been, I was high in the shower and, you know, <laughs> sounded good then. Right. So, I wrote for six months and uh, uh, created a backstory and a character and a life. And I wrote material. And then one night I called up a millennial friend of mine who ran an open mic. And I said, I'm ready to do this. And he said, okay, man, you can get 15 minutes. Here's when it is. And come on. So I got dressed. I put this suit on. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not worth, I'm, I'm like, kind of like an atheist, right? So there I am and, and the putting this on. And it was, I, I got very self-conscious that I looked like this. And I drove over there and I went up on stage and I did 15 minutes. And my friend, the comedian said, wow, that was terrific. Whoa. And I said, yeah, it worked, you know, it worked. So I, I did, that was like for three years. And then, but he, you know, years, the 14 months of the pandemic, I came back to LA uh, in February of 19. My wife, my wife is Colombian. So, ah, so ah. yeah, so we have been spending uh, half the year in Colombia, uh, you know, like three months there, three months here, two months there, two months there, whatever we want, because she doesn't work, and you know, my time is my own. So we're just that. So uh, um, we got back in February, uh, middle of February of nineteen uh, or twenty, rather, and um, we were supposed to go back in late March. But yada yada, right? And oh, that does happen. Yeah, and uh, uh, bingo. So, because I was supposed, she was going to go back in in late March. Late March, and I was going to stick around for a few months and do some stand up, and because I had some gigs booked, and you know, and uh, it just never happened. So, hmm. I'm kind of anxious to get back to it. I'll send you guys. I'll email the the video. 
Well, cool. That'd be awesome. Um, for for our listeners, um, because, you know, obviously, uh, yeah, we're audio. Um, uh, where can people find you online and, and see some of this stuff? Uh, you can go to um, uh, what's, uh, the Comedy Store Tonight on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, Argus Hamilton with uh, with Argus Hamilton. And uh, just search El Yid. And it'll pop right up. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, what about just uh, finding out what uh, what you're doing and the status of the book and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you know, I usually announce stuff on Facebook, uh, okay. what I'm doing. Um, I don't really have a uh, big social media presence. I know that's probably huh? not for no reason. Uh, right, right. Just, you know, <laughs> I imagine the closer I get to finishing the book, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, get more of it uh, but well, we'll, we'll definitely have a um a link to your facebook on our show notes so that people can check that out as well as um uh look uh, you know you've had such an amazing career i mean we didn't even get to we didn't we just touched on a little bit of it so uh i i'm definitely looking forward to to checking out the book and and i know other people need to read this as well it's just it, it's just one of these things that you know, I had, I had a dream when I was a kid, right? I, you know, I, I told you I'm not very mature. So I, I literally wanted to live my life like a teenager with a huge allowance. And uh, um, I've done that. I've been, I, I've greatly exceeded my own expectations. <laughs> I just. <laughs> well, cool. And, and, and man, with starting out with the Stooges, that's, that's such a great origin story right there. That's it. That's the, moment, the best man. I've heard. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's you know, I, I identify that as the moment when, when my life changed and I said, this is it. This is it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Cool. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Sorry. And we'll definitely have to have you back when that book is ready. I probably talk too much, but then again, I'm my own favorite subject. So, you know. Absolutely. Well, go. no, no, I, you couldn't have talked too much because we haven't even got to like, like half the stories. I'm sure. Oh no, nothing. We just this is like an introduction. <laughs> exactly. That's why people need to read the book. That's right. That is awesome, man. Well, let's take a quick break, and we're going to be back with the 60th anniversary of the Flintstones. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. It's been a busy past couple weeks for geeks with new TV shows, movies, and all that coming out. The first thing I want to touch on is Godzilla vs. Kong. I got a chance to watch this movie and it was so much fun. I think one of the things that this movie does best is that it realizes that We're not really here to see these movies for stories about humans or kind of human drama. We just want to see big monsters smashing stuff and punching things. And Godzilla vs. Kong really delivers. One of the interesting things about this movie is that you can go see it in theaters or watch it through HBO Max on the streaming service. And I would say personally that it was really cool to see it on the big screen. But again, it depends on what your level of comfort and safety are, if you've been vaccinated, if you feel comfortable about 
going to a movie showing with social distancing and a mask. It's really cool to see on a wide, a big wide screen. But if you don't, I am thankful that the studio is allowing people to watch that at home just so that we can all have equal access again based on where we are, where we live, and how the COVID situation is based on our own individual situations. So definitely recommend that one. It's a lot of fun. I've also been catching up on Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. And what's kind of fascinating me about this is that originally I was more excited for Falcon and Winter Soldier than WandaVision. But when I watched WandaVision, it was so good. Like, it was mind-blowingly good. I loved it. I was super pumped about it. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is good, but it's not as good as WandaVision, I would say. If I was Disney+, Plus, I actually might have swapped these releases just because Falcon and the Winter Soldier, again, it's, in, it's entertaining. I enjoy watching it, but definitely not as mind-bending and amazing as WandaVision. So maybe it would have been best to flip those release schedules but again we haven't seen all of falcon and winter soldier yet and i do like it and i'm looking forward to seeing more and that's it for entertainment content this week if you're looking for more information be sure to check out my blog over on the eso podcast website here at the cosmic pizza podcast we make every show from the finest ingredients juicy interviews fiery film nights delicious desert island dvds and pack it all into a slice of life in every episode order up our specials now from your delivery guys shine from canada dan from kent in the uk and paul from near liverpool in the uk here on the eso network the cosmic pizza podcast serving you a slice of life Mm-mm. back and of course let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor of tonight's episode nsc live tv nsc live tv is the premier site for finding live auctions or comic book shops no more surfing countless hours trying to find live auctions on comic book shops that carry the age or type of comics or vintage toys you're into check out that's nsc live tv.com very well worth checking out and thank you so much as always for supporting our sponsors here on Earth Station One. Alright Mike, it's Yabba Dabba Doo time so let's have a grand old time. It uh, It is and uh, you look, we're going to talk all things Flintstones and we've got a couple of marks to help us out <laughs> a couple of marks to help us out to help the couple of mics here um, we've got with us of course our our, our good friend, Mark Heffernan, who has joined us on many uh, of our animated episodes here. Mark, how's it going? It's going real well. Uh, happy to join in and talk all about the Flintstones. Absolutely. It's been too long. And we've also got with us the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives and uh, e- fellow ESO podcaster as well. Uh, Mark McRae is here. Mark, thank you for joining us as well. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, I love the Flintstones. Matter of fact, I was watching a Flintstones episode 
tonight called uh, Fred's New Job, where uh, he's trying to get a, a raise because, you know, Baby Pebbles is coming. All right, so, right. Some uh, good moments there. Oh, man, so many, so many good moments. It's going to be uh, – the Finstones are a little bit over 60 years old now as far as when they first made their debut. Uh, but we'll start with, uh, like, our own personal experiences. We'll start with you. Uh, well, I'll say Mark H., just to make things easier. Uh, Mark H., uh, when was the first time – do you remember, like, your first or a counter with the Flintstones? Well, I can't say I remember my very first episode of the Flintstones, but I do remember um, when I was uh, a kid back in the late 70s, uh, the Flintstones were always on Channel 44 in San Francisco, and they were always on after the Looney Tunes hour and just before the Brady Bunch. Mm. So you always, you know, we'd always cut, you know, if we weren't playing outside, uh, we would watch the Looney Tunes, you know, which usually started about three o'clock. The Flintstones were at four and then at four 30 was the Brady Bunch. Wow. And that's, that's, that's what we watch in the afternoon. Sure. So sure. A- as kids and, you know, the one thing I noticed when I was watching it was of course that unlike a lot of the other cartoons, you know, during uh weekday afternoons, there changes actually happened, you know, like Fred and Wilma had a kid mm-hmm. and then uh, Barney and Betty adopted a kid, you know, and, and you then know, a so, green guy showed up. <laughs> uh, let, let's let's save him for later. That's right. Dum dums. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, as you can tell from my tone, I'm not a big fan of that particular character (laughs) but uh yeah i mean i think the reason for that was is you know obviously we were watching i was watching it in syndication so i was unaware that it ran for basically six seasons back in the 60s and that it ran during prime time that Mm -hmm. was not you know cartoons did not run at night nighttime was for live action stuff because you just didn't have cartoons in the evening, except for the specials like Rudolph and Charlie Brown Christmas, you didn't have cartoons in the evening. Cartoons were a weekday thing and a Saturday morning thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's a great segue into passing it off to the Saturday morning king over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mark M. Uh, so what do you remember your like initial experiences with the Flintstones? My experience is similar to Mark um, H's experience. You know, I watched the Flintstones. It was syndicated um, on uh, the local channel. I think it was Channel 5, which was, uh, you know, one of the local channels in New York. And uh, um, it had a similar lineup. Uh, Channel 5 also had Looney Tunes. And um, I would just, uh, you know, watch every day. I knew that it was an older show. Uh, I just didn't know at the time when I started watching it as a kid, I didn't know the history. I had no idea that it had started out in primetime television as, you know, one of the first primetime cartoons and that it had like this strong syndicated, you know, history of, you know, running weeknights or, I mean, sorry, week weekday afternoons. So that was interesting. And I sort of liked the episodes that feature Pebbles and Bam Bam um, as well as uh, Kazoo. And uh, 
Kazoo has sort of become like a favorite of mine only because I appreciate Harvey Corman's voice work in that series. I mean, you know, the writers really wrote a lot of great snarky lines for Harvey Corman. And as a kid, I didn't appreciate it so much because, you know, he always was calling them dum-dums. But uh, as I got older, I realized that, you know, Kazoo was sort of the king of snark, you know, (laughs) before his time. At least somebody here is showing some signs of intelligence. (laughs) Right, right. All right. So right away, we have a division of the marts. Uh, All right. (laughs) Uh, uh, Mike, what about you? What's what's your early entry into Bedrock? Oh, ever since I can remember, the Flintstones have always been there. It's, you know, from the early episodes in syndication – all the way through into, you know, then there was, the, you know, I remember when they had the Pebbles and Bam Bam show and then, you know, the Flintstones returns and, you know, all these different, you know, bringing back the Flintstones over and over and over again. And then the live action films. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, if anyone was meant to play Fred Flintstone it pretty much was John Goodman. And, you know, and we'll get into that later, but, Agree, and I'm going to take the side of uh, Mark, of course, to you know say <laughs> very diplomatic of you, uh, of course, you know about Kazu. So I'm on Mark's side. I'm on Mark's side so. of of Gazoo. So I think you know it. It was great, and there, like, there were so many firsts with this show, and you know I can't wait to dive in with both feet. Yeah, yeah. And and likewise. I mean, I think we're all about the same age. So, um, yeah, I grew up in, in Massachusetts. Channel 56 uh, was showing it in syndication. I believe they were showing it. I know they were showing it every, uh, you know, each weekday. I believe it was an hour, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but I do know that it was the transition show on week every weekday because – we would have cartoons, you know, Casper and and uh, Tom and Jerry, and and I think Looney Tunes were in there too, and then the Flintstones, and then Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Brady Bunch, Good Times, et cetera, et cetera. So it was almost like that that Flintstones was that perfect like bridge between the cartoon world and the sitcom, the family sitcom world. Um, and it was perfect for that. Um, my understanding is, though, uh, when it first was introduced, um, it, I knew I do know it was a risk. I mean, as we've talked about, it did make history. It was the uh, first primetime, uh, I believe, right? The first primetime animated show, right? Shown like that. Um, and geared for, well, I don't want to say adults because I don't want to make it sound like it was like some sort of naughty thing. But um, but it looks like it was geared for all families. And my understanding is it, it was rough there for a while. It didn't do well initially. Is that is that your take on it as well? Uh, Mark M? Um, well, from what I understand, uh, it was definitely geared, you know, for the adult audience. Um, it's kind of interesting because the show was pitched to ABC. And ABC in the early days was sort of like Fox was in the early days. You know, the network was willing to take a chance with animation. They wanted to offer their viewers something a little different than whatever NBC and CBS was offering. So I think if they had tried to, and they probably did, because people back in those days, they pitched projects to all three networks. Sure. Um, But... 
I think that the fact that it landed at ABC was probably, you know, uh, a situation where ABC was sort of trying to get a leg up over the other networks by offering some, them something different. So it was definitely aimed at adults. They had an adult sponsor, uh, Winston Cigarettes. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and I've seen some of those early commercials, like, you know. Right that, into the cartoon crazy. right there. <laughs> right. And and Walt Disney took offense to the Flintstones right away. I mean, there is an article I read on uh, Jerry Beck's website where uh, TV Guide is interviewing Walt Disney because before Hanna-Barbera showed up in the adult primetime space, uh, Disney was sort of the king of that space, you know, with the Wonderful World of Disney series. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this new contender and the animation isn't, a, isn't as full as a Disney cartoon. And, uh, you know, TV Guide wanted to know what Walt thought of it. And it's like one of the most backhanded uh, <laughs> uh, interviews or uh, passive-aggressive interviews I've ever read uh, about the competition. It's just really interesting. But, but yeah, uh, it was the first, I guess, primetime situation comedy cartoon for kids i mean for adults mm-hmm. uh so i i definitely think it it was for sure meant for adults i think probably when pebbles and bam bam showed up it started kind of veering more towards you know family and kids right and and, and uh, even that and especially that last season with kazoo like it has to, i mean the great is obviously for aimed at kids right uh i would say um and and Obviously now, I mean, looking back on it now, it's pretty easy that it was modeled very, very closely on the honeymoon. Oh, uh, oh extremely so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it took me, it took me, I was introduced to the Flintstones first. So right. Right. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see that connection uh, right away, but I'm sure, you know, everybody watching the Flintstones was like, oh, this is just an animated, you know, inferior honeymooners. Right. I, um, now, the critics didn't, wasn't crazy about the show. Like, right. the Flintstones was, like, panned by everybody. And it was compared to the Honeymooners. Um, so, yeah, there was that. But, you know, people don't listen to critics. And that's what <laughs> <laughs> made the show successful. So, uh, Mark H., do you have anything to add to the, the that sort of era of the, the Flintstones when it originally aired? Well, I think it's interesting when you talk about the show is the fact that it's the first time, if you take a look at it, prior to this, all of Hanna-Barbera's productions were basically collections of shorts. I mean, you take a look at Huckleberry Hound, you have Huckleberry Hound, you have Yogi Bear as part of the show. They're basically kind of recreating the format of the the movie shorts on TV Mm -hmm. a little bit. This is the first time they actually did a full half an hour on a single story rather than, you know, you know, two or three shorts, you know, were basically gag shorts. Uh, It was definitely a risk. Uh, Obviously it paid off because you notice later on, especially as you get into the seventies, that that became more of the dominant format for most of the Saturday morning shows where you have a half an hour story rather than a collection of shorts. So, I mean, it, it was kind of, it, it, it's also kind of a transition show between going from the gag type short to the more longer form, half an hour 
single story. And I think that's kind of interesting. No, that's definitely interesting. That's a good call. I mean, it's, and it wasn't something that was, uh, I mean, I think it's a true testament to how difficult it must have been to produce because uh, both, you know, not only was it the first, but it's not like it was quickly adapted among like all the other networks had, anime. They, they didn't because it, it couldn't, it was hard to produce, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you take a look, uh, if you go on Wikipedia and you take a look at the uh, the pages, especially during the first two seasons, they actually had a writing team led by, uh, I, 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 gotta, I had to write down the name. Uh, uh, let me see here. Oh, I can't remember it, but <laughs> they, 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 had, they had a team that uh, handled it for most of the two seasons. Then as they went later on, they added more, writers into the mix and i think that's the reason why i generally prefer the later seasons starting with season three three through six except for the kazoo era (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know because i i think you have more writers and it made it more interesting so you had different ideas you know so but that's just me but i think it it was taking a risk you know going from a short which are you know six or seven minutes to a full half an hour story, definitely definitely a risk. It definitely paid off for him. And I think in order to minimize that risk, that's why they adopted a very familiar popular format like the Honeymooners, so that there was some famili- familiarity there. And uh, although that, yeah, obviously that did cost them. Critics noticed, people noticed, but even Jackie Gleason noticed. <laughs> <laughs> but Jackie yeah. Gleason, uh, I guess I, I read that, uh, you know, he decided not to sue uh, because he did not want to be like he didn't want to be the big guy, like, you know, picking on an animated show, I guess. Right. Um, uh, he didn't want to be the guy that yanked Fred Flintstone off the air. He said, um, and, you know, that shows you even then that even though the critics weren't liking it, the public must have been attached to it because if Jackie Gleason is going to, if that's going to stop him from suing him, obviously it must have had legs on its own, right? Oh, yeah. I, and I think that uh, while everyone knows that the Honeymooners is like an obvious um, influence, I think that the Flintstones is so beyond the Honeymooners now. You oh, know? yeah, because very there's, much there's so. Because there's been all of these shows and all these spinoffs and, you know, there were movies. And um, so... Yes, the Honeymooners were definitely the influence, but the Flintstones franchise is so much more beyond the Honeymooners. Um, not to take anything away from the Honeymooners, you know. No, no. A great show. <laughs> but in some ways, the Honeymooners, like, you know, for me personally, I mean, I love the Honeymooners. I'm not going to say anything bad about them, but um, uh, but they seem like, just sort of like I Love Lucy, they seem like they're products of their time. When I watch them, I definitely feel like they're not contemporary. The Flintstones gets around that by by placing it in bedrock. And not only are they giving us, um, you know, fun or interesting sitcom, family sitcom type stories, but they're lit, they're like sprinkled in throughout are all these kind of like prehistoric reference jokes that are just amazingly hilarious. Uh, um, just, uh, you know, whether it's the, the record player that's like, you know, that's a, that's a bird needle, like, you know, the bird beak is the needle or like many of the others. Uh, it's just, uh, just watching that is, or just seeing those is reason to tune in, I think. 
How okay. disappointed was I when I grew up, started growing up and realizing that our garbage disposal wasn't a pig living underneath <laughs> our sink. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, regard, so regarding the, the series itself, the original series, um, are there any standout episodes for you guys that, uh, you know, that are, are like you rank as like maybe some of your favorite moments? Uh, Mark H, do you have any ones that really come to mind? Like, oh, that's just a special one. Well, the one I th- there's two. Uh, the first one is Little Bam Bam, where mm-hmm. I was Bam one Bam, of mine's too, actually. Where Bam Bam was introduced. Um, I like that story, uh, because you know, it was it was a story that you know, adoption was not you know, big, you know, at least te- televised anyway back in the 60s so i thought it was an interesting story mm. and I, I really enjoyed it of course i didn't see it in the 60s i saw it in the 70s and then the other one that i liked just because it was so funny was when fred and barney uh competed to for the most beautiful baby in bedrock <laughs> I, I i love that one where they had where fred and barney were putting up posters you know pebbles and bam bam who's the most beautiful baby i mean it was it was it was just hilarious. I mean, you know, and it's definitely one of my favorite ones. Uh, probably my favorite, actually, of all the episodes is that one there. And they had the big uh, campaign trucks and everything. Oh yes, uh, that was part of it too. You know, and and the speakers and all that. I mean, it was mm-hmm. great. Uh, Mark M, do you have some that are uh, yeah. that uh, stand out for you? Yeah, um, there's an early one, I think, from season one, where Fred and Barney take these three kids, I guess they're like Cub Scouts, they take them camping. And, you know, Fred and Barney really don't know what they're doing, but they want to do the right thing by these three kids. And uh, somewhere in the middle of the night, the campsite gets flooded, and they end up going over a waterfall. And Fred manages to save Barney and the three kids. And what's really cool about it is like one of those very rare moments in the Flintstones where there's no laugh track, there's no background music, and you just see Fred Barney and these three kids kind of hanging off a cliff. And then the scene sort of fades to black. And I just feel like that particular scene was directed and animated so well, you know, and they definitely wanted to convey to the audience that okay, you know, we've been making you guys laugh most of the episode, but this is like something serious that just happened. And then Fred, of course, felt really bad that he didn't give the the Cub Scouts um, the experience and that everything happened, but the kids were so grateful and they gave Fred a medal and and, uh, he was, you know, cited in the episode as a hero and everything worked out. So that one sort of stands out because it sort of breaks the format a little bit. Um, the other episode I like is, uh, the, uh, when Fred has to take the place of, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, I can sing the song. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's supposed to be, I really believe it's supposed to be, uh, the musician Chuck Berry. Uh, uh, interesting. but, But he plays this rock and roll guy that loses his voice. And uh, so Fred has to put on the wig and go across the stage and uh, and he's saying, there's a place I know where the people go called Bread Rock. 
Twist. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and one day I was in my kitchen singing the song and my kids filled in the twist bar. They let me sing like the hook. Oh, nice. Then they, you know, I was like, oh, wow. I guess I played the Flintstones a lot <laughs> while y'all were growing up. But anyway, so that was kind of funny. But um, I think the guy's name was Rock Roll. But I really believe he was inspired by Chuck Berry because he does this little guitar hop across the stage. And that was like a Chuck Berry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was true. his thing, you know. Um, that one also. And uh, I know they you mentioned to, too. They used to do a lot of music, though, on the Flintstones. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And which was always amazing, even down to when Pebbles and Bam Bam had the singing content. <laughs> So let the sun shine. <laughs> <laughs> were any of those? Were any of their songs hits? The sun. That one was. Actually. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, they weren't. I think someone else wrote and sang that song first. Well, that's see, that's an old 1930s song. Yeah, mm. that they that they so, redid, and it's. You mean it doesn't come from prehistoric bedrock? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mikey. <laughs> but you well, know, that's, just, that's like that's like when the Flintstones are celebrating Christmas. You're like, um, uh, <laughs> right? Like, like the math doesn't work here. Like, <laughs> where uh, Wayne Newton was on one of the episodes, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. When they went to Rock Vegas. Yeah, was that? Uh, yeah. He must have been. He wasn't. Mis- yeah, he, he must was have been young, like Wayne young, little young Wayne Newton at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah and the, then there was these hippie, like not hippie guys, but like this rock band that you know, like they used to expand out and everything. Oh, the way out. The way out. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah, those a lot. I mean, and Margaret. Oh that's yeah, a, that's a big one. And Margrock, I think it was, right. or something like that. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, James Darren. Yeah. Jimmy From Darren. the Gidget movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was tons and tons of celebrity cameos on that show, mm-hmm. too. One of, was- my, uh, one of my favorite episodes also has to do with music. Uh, I had a musical number, too, that, uh, and it's the Hot Piano from the first season. Oh, um, yes. It's, uh, it's most notably known now for introducing the Happy Anniversary song. Uh, which mm-hmm. is just uh, like a you know a meme that you anytime anybody has an anniversary you see that pop up and rightly so I mean it's dude it's, to I, me, had, it's, I had Judy singing it to me all Saturday yeah, happy it's, anniversary it, well, happy <laughs> the song gets drilled into you in the episode because it just goes on and on and on but I what I love is not just the song I love the song uh, to me it's like what what happy birthday is to birthdays right like it is that song uh, but also. Um, the, the episode itself shows like to Mark M's point, how much it's, it's, it is like a honeymooners episode in the fact that Fred wants to do something nice for his anniversary. And of course, you know, there's hijinks involved, but then, you know, um, when they're sort of loading the piano, you know, trying to sneak it in the house to surprise her, like, you know, it goes, things go crazy. And then it turns into like a Keystone's cops thing where Fred is riding this piano through downtown Bedrock and getting pulled over by the cops who, who mistake him for a, a criminal. And it's just, you know, it's just wacky. And um, I think it's, it's where it shows you exactly like, yes, the premise might be similar to something like the honeymooners, but the, due to animation and the writers, they just take it to crazy uh, tights, you know. They just take it anywhere. These shows, um, they can do anything. 
Um, and uh, and that, I like that one too. And that one, yeah, that was right early on, first season that they were doing that. Well, exactly. And then you know you have to realize you know the birth of Pebbles was pretty groundbreaking for the series, just in general, even for primetime television. Yeah, you know, because you know, other than Lucy. You know, that this is, you know, basically cartoon characters having sex. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> or, or to Mark H.'s point, when, when Betty and, and, and Barney have to adopt, it's like they can't conceive. And you're exactly. like, right. a cartoon is talking about a couple that can't conceive? Like, that's that's amazing. Oh, yeah. and it was pretty heartbreaking, you know, the scenes between Betty and Barney where she's crying her eyes out because they can't have kids. And everything, and it, it was a fact of life. There are some people out there that can't conceive, and it's it's just touching on so many different topics that you know. And it was just, and then literally, Bam Bam was dropped into their lap, and it was just awesome, you know. And you know, the world's strongest kids couldn't get much better than that. Well, it may have uh, it may have come up to a rough start. Uh, but the Flintstones uh, recently TV Guide ranked it as the second greatest TV cartoon of all time. Wow! After the Simpsons, of course. Um, of course. Uh, I think Ooh, what? Yeah, but you know <laughs> the Simpsons, their original run might still be going on. But the the Flintstones, I think, you know, even though that original series went six seasons, it it continued in a lot of different forms. Um, and uh, I don't know, is the first one. Was the movie first? Um, the the, the uh, man the, called Flintstone. Yes. So the movie was supposed to serve like as a uh, a series finale for the Flintstones uh, the show <laughs> itself, and so that also came around, um, I believe, in 1966. Yeah, and, and that's then, a that's a that's a great uh, that's a, that that's a spy spoof, obviously. Um, and where, uh, you know, Fred is mistaken for, you know, James Bond rock or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, and that's a, that's a fun movie too. I, I do love that, but, but yes, um, you know, I think after the, the Flintstones end, uh, and correct me if I get in these wrong, I'm just sort of looking at something here uh, on my notes, but, uh, we have the Pebbles and Bam Bam show after that, then the Flintstone comedy hour, uh, new Fred and Barney show, which uh, which takes us to 1979. We have the Flintstone comedy show in 1980 to 82. Flintstone kids is a little bit after that in the late 80s. Uh, then we have, a, I think, a Dino series. Um, and then it gets kind of weird. I think there's a show called Cave Kids, uh, The Rubbles, um, and Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. It seems like they're morphing into like really different takes on the series. If I, it looks like, um, I'm not as familiar with a lot of those, <laughs> uh, but, um, but certainly, um, and I think this is where it transitions to with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Pebbles and Bam Bam show is where it can, it goes from prime time to Saturday morning. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Which I think it finds a much more comfortable home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, um, uh, definitely. Uh, so you know, the Flintstones was a primetime series, and so the first spinoff is actually a Saturday morning series for kids. 
And um, I have a little background behind that. Uh, so, you know, Lou Scheimer, who was one of my mentors who ran Filmation for many years, he told me that <laughs> he was pitching a show to CBS called Emmy Lou, which was like based on a a comic strip that aired in the, you know, that didn't air, but it was like a comic strip that was like in the newspapers, in the daily newspapers. Mm-hmm. And it was about a teenager. And so he says he gets a phone call from Fred Silverman and Fred Silverman says, well, I won't be buying Emmy Lou, but you know, you just got me thinking, you know, maybe Pebbles and Bam Bam as teenagers might make a better concept. And at the time, you know, as, as Mark H uh, mentioned as well, you know, uh, you know, the show was in, was in syndication and I'm sure it was doing very well in syndication and, and, and Fred Silverman was like, well, if it's doing this well in syndication, why not create a new show, a new series? So Lou Scheimer told me he was pissed about it because, you know, he didn't, wasn't able to sell his show. But it sort of inspired the programming chief at CBS to create Pebbles and Bam Bam. And in my opinion, it was the right move. It was the right move. If, if I was in, in Fred Silverman's place, Maybe I might have done the same thing because he realized that <laughs> Flintstones getting high ratings and syndication, like people want a new show. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you could apply the same theory for uh, to Star Trek, you know? I mean, Star Trek was doing very good in syndication and, you know, next thing you know, you have a movie coming out. I mean, although I think Star Wars sort of helped. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Mark H, do you have any thoughts about uh, the spinoffs, or is there? First of all, you guys, if there's anything that we passed over in the original series, please feel free to to chime in on that. But uh, moving on to the uh, the spinoffs, is there anything of note uh, there for you? Well, the only one I really watched was the Pebbles and Bam Bam show. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting. This kind of goes to uh, Yes, I've been listening to your podcast, Mark oh. M. <laughs> oh, thanks. Is, uh, uh, but one of the things I find interesting about it was, is of course, with Pebbles and Bam Bam, they also had a band. This is, of course, right around the Archie's time where it seemed like every teenage yes. group also had a band. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, like I said, that was the only one I really watched because most of the other ones, as as they came out, it was kind of at the point where I was kind of getting out of Saturday morning TV for a while, especially during the late eighties. I didn't really get back into it again until X-Men came out. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was awesome a period show. there, you know, yeah. So I kind of missed some of the other Flintstone spinoffs. Mm-hmm. So the only one I really watched was Pebbles and Bam Bam. And I really did like that one, although I don't think it ran anywhere near as long as the original. I think maybe one or two seasons. Yeah, it was only two. It, it only ran one season. Can you believe that? Uh, and in fact, it, most of the spinoffs uh, or shows after that only ran uh, one season. Uh, there, um, I think. Uh, Flintstone comedy show it says here and the Flintstone kids did two seasons um, but apart from that uh, pretty much it was just one and done and uh, and that was it so certainly nothing of them uh, theirs had the uh, the staying power of of the original series um, but yeah. also the market was 
I know, Mark, you've talked about this several times. The market was so different that a lot of cartoons didn't make it past one or two seasons, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, like the Pebbles and Bam Bam show, it ran one season. And then like the Flintstones comedy hour was more Pebbles and Bam Bam. And then the first half hour was like three separate segments, like Pebbles and Bam Bam, A New Adventure, then the middle cartoon probably focused on maybe Fred and Barney and the grown-ups. And then the last segment could have been all of them. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that last segment was and maybe a song in between. And then the second hour were like repeats from season one of Pebbles and Bam Bam. Uh, there could have been like some other new episodes. I think there were four new Pebbles and Bam Bam episodes in the in that mix. But um, they they didn't want to call it the Pebbles and Bam Bam show for season two. They decided, you know what, let's just go with the Flintstones and call it the Flintstones Comedy Hour and sort of change up the format a little bit. Um, and then uh, uh, the Flintstone Kids was it was kind of interesting, you know, uh, because I feel like because you had the Smurfs and the Snarks and the Muppet Babies, you know, you had all these like. <laughs> younger characters uh the Flintstones kids I think I think that show actually did sort of better than maybe some of the er- earlier spinoffs uh because it was kind of like in its in its own universe you know um uh something that you know Dan Clink and I talk about is is was the Flintstones kids part of the regular Flintstones continuity and I say that it wasn't because you know, Fred didn't know Wilma as a kid. I mean, Mm -mm. there's an episode that establishes when Fred met what, I mean, I'm sorry. I think I got a little mixed up. (laughs) Fred didn't know Wilma as a kid and Barney didn't know Betty. They didn't know each other as kids. There's an episode where they meet for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then one of the live action Flintstone movies, I think they also revisit those characters meeting for the first time as adults. So it was like its own little universe. And I also like the fact that they sort of brought Captain Caveman in the mix as well. It was Captain Caveman yes. and son. Right. And so I like the concept of a show within a show where the Flintstone <laughs> kids were watching Captain Caveman and son, like on their favorite, you know, Saturday morning show. Right. And um, so I thought that was like, a pretty cool touch too to tie in Captain Caveman with the Flintstones universe. You know, I, although I think Captain Caveman might have appeared earlier, excuse me, in one of the um, earlier um, spinoffs, like maybe the Flintstones comedy show. I, I know that they appear, the Flintstones appeared in Laugh Olympics where Captain Caveman was. Yeah, that's true. A, it was an actual, uh, right. you know, regular. So they did a, they did appear once in that. Mm-hmm. So, although Laugh Olympics is its own kind of their own thing, you know, <laughs> right. and, you know, because now the Flintstones are part of the Scooby Doo universe. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I, I think Laugh Olympics, you kind of just have to set aside and just say it's its own thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, what are prehistoric characters doing in modern times? You know, Fred and Barney, like, hanging out with all the modern HB characters. That that kind of threw me off as a kid as well. 
Well, it was it, well, it was a good way to boost the ratings. Oh, the Flintstones are on the Laugh Olympics, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm always. I, I was surprised when I was researching this. I was actually stunned because if you had, you know, put a gun to my head or put asked me to put money on it, I could have swore the Gruesomes had their own TV show at one time. But I can find no record that that is actually true. But um, uh, maybe I'm just mixing it up because the Adams family had a you know an animated series. Maybe I'm just morphing the two together because obviously there's some similarities there. Oh, very um, much so. But I am shocked that the Gruesomes have never had their own like thing after that because I don't know. I found them pretty. You know, I mean, I know some of the, 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 you know, as we talked about the great Gazoo and everything, some of the characters that came on later are kind of out there and uh, have mixed, you know, people have mixed feelings about it. But I thought, you know, I, I, I have never heard anybody talk bad about the gruesome. So the hat rocks, maybe but the gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what did you think about Samantha showing up in the Flintstones? Samantha showing up in the Flintstones. I don't recall that. Yeah. There was actually an episode where the Bewitched character showed up on the Flintstones. Wow. So yeah. Sam goes back in time? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's 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 a well, you know, Hanna Barbera did the open for Bewitched. Right. Yeah, All that's right. the reason they actually appeared in the Flintstones in one episode. Right. And 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 the thing that got me was that when I was a kid, I used to watch Bewitched. I always thought that the cat that jumps into Darren's lap, I said, that's a Hanna-Barbera cat. That's definitely <laughs> Hanna-Barbera. But, you know, no internet, so I can't prove anything. <laughs> um, but um, that show was was more of of the parent company screen gems. And that the fact that both shows were on the same network was like a lot of cross-promotional stuff happening. I mean, that's one of my favorites, too, by the way. Uh, when Bewitched and Darren show up on the Flintstones. They move into the neighborhood and show up, and of course, you don't see them again, but it's it's a great episode. And there were a lot of Hanna-Barbera stuffed toys and animals that would be placed, you know, in certain parts of the Stevens house in Bewitched. You know, one time I saw a ricochet rabbit, a stuffed toy, like in maybe Tabitha's room. And I didn't know that they even made Ricochet Rabbit stuffed toys, you know, but they were doing a lot of cross promotion and cross pollination because both shows were owned by Screen Gems and both shows were on the networks. And uh, it was kind of smart because, you know, in those early days of TV, they didn't do a lot of, you know, marketing strategy like that. And so somebody was thinking ahead. Definitely. And it was one of the few references that I, a more adult references where they actually got because Bewitched, of course, was still being uh, syndicated. So you could watch the reruns of Bewitched. So at least I was familiar, familiar with Bewitched. I mean, Anne Margrock, you know, because I wasn't as familiar with Anne Margaret, <laughs> you know. Some of some of those more adult ones kind of went over your head as a kid, but Bewitched, I got right, right, which yeah. is which is the reason I think I it's one of one of my favorite episodes. Uh, be you know where you know you have uh, guest characters show up because I got the references. Yeah, I I agree with you. A lot of the celebrity appearances went over my head as well when I watched it as a kid. I knew it was someone famous, but I didn't necessarily know who they were. Right. 
Right. And that's understandable. And I think the show works both ways. Right. So that's what makes it uh, pretty, uh, pretty well-rounded as well. But, uh, but Mike, uh, now we're going to get to 1994 big moment, the Flintstones live action. Uh, You know, it's in the, it's announced in the nineties that, you know, that they're going to make a live action Flintstones. I'm going to be honest with you. I was not (laughs) crazy about the idea. Oh Um, no, 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 no. But, uh, Actually, I think it, you know, surprisingly went off uh, pretty, pretty well. Um, I don't know. What are your, Mike, what is your thoughts about the the Flintstones movie? Oh, the Flintstones movie, like I said, originally, you know, when they announced that it was going to be John Goodman as Fred and Rick Moranis, if I remember correctly, as Barney, you know, I thought that's pretty good casting. You know, yeah, it's uh, hard to get Alan Reed's he- voice out of your head. Like no, that's just you can't. Alan Reed is is Fred Flintstone. Like, oh no, I mean, no matter yeah. what, no matter right. what. And but exactly to your point, Goodman. Yeah, he. You know, when he starts yelling "Yabba Dabba Doo," you're like, okay, okay, that I can I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that was what was great about it, and it was just a lot of fun, and it was just it was interesting to see the Flintstones come out to life with that. And overall, it wasn't great. The story wasn't all that, (laughs) you know, it was not a strong story and it, you know, they tried copying a lot of the actual movie, you know, from the car, from the original cartoons some of the storylines and such, it just didn't work. And I don't even want to talk about the sequel they made, which was even worse. I think, I think though, it's it's in much way, in a lot of ways, maybe not as strong, but in a lot of ways, like the series when initially aired, the movie panned by critics. I mean, Siskel and Ebert gave it like th- two thumbs down. Uh, it was it showed up on a lot of worst lists of the year. But I know people now you know, who grew up with that show, that movie or whatever, and loved that movie. So I think, I think just sort of similarly to the series when it aired, it wasn't a fan, it wasn't a hit with the critics, but yet I think the, uh, the, the public, at least kids anyway, you know, it, some of it bled through to them. Some of it, mm-hmm. some of them, it worked. I will say Elizabeth Perkins did make a good Wilma. And that. I think uh, I think Rick Moranis was good casting yeah. as well as Barney. Oh, I do too. I think too. the cast was pretty solid. Mm, Rosie O'Donnell as Betty? No, eh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe well, she not. Had, she had the laugh. That's what got her in. I always felt. Yeah, you know, she could do the Betty laugh. You know, or the Betty snicker, or whatever that is. <laughs> you know, but, uh, hey, uh, that movie made three hundred and forty-one million dollars. See, yes, yes, exactly. That's that's yeah, that's not a bomb. Right. right. Oh, I they, didn't. They, I never said it was a bomb. No. Yeah, they made yeah. a second one. I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. So. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know what you're talking about. But it was interesting because it also had Kyle MacLachlan, Elizabeth Taylor, even Haley Berry was in it. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I forgot B-52s. That. That's right. Uh, as the BC 52s. Come on. The BC 52s. <laughs> right, right. I thought that was uh, that was inspired as well. So. I don't know. It's it's one of those weird things where, I mean, it was kind of cool seeing these animated characters brought to life. Um, but then I don't know if I wanted to see them brought to life. It was sort of a weird thing. 
you know, like maybe some things are not necessarily meant for live action. And uh, while I enjoyed the movie, there was just this, I don't know, something at the back of my mind that was, this is still kind of weird. <laughs> well, I think too, around that time too, I think like the Brady Bunch movie was doing well, it did well or whatever. And there was a certain, there was a certain snarkiness to these movies, like these, these um, reboots or live action things, because it was almost like, oh, we can't just tell it straight um, because that we're too smart for that. We're too beyond that sort of thing now. Um, look how hokey all this stuff was back then. Uh, let's let's sort of make fun of it a little bit. And uh, and to me, the Brady Bunch took that way too far. But I think there's a little bit of that in the Flintstones movie. There's a lot of love there, though, I do feel like. Bringing right. some of those, as you said, Mike, those gags from the series to life was was kind of fun um, and difficult. I mean, this movie cost a lot of money to make. I mean, it was not easy. A lot of CG here, an early CG. Oh, very much so, because it's still this is still in mid nineties, and you know it was just it was interesting to see, and I I think I probably rolled my eyes only slightly when I watched it the first time, much more <laughs> you know eye rolling when I watched it again with William when he got old enough, and yeah, is the uh... I think I think it says a lot. I went and saw it on opening weekend. I enjoyed it. But I haven't gone back to see it since. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. I, you know what? I've only seen it the once, and I didn't even see it in the theater. I think I waited till it was on, you know, whatever movie service or whatever. I was going to say VHS. It that <laughs> <laughs> hey, I still have a VHS player. Yeah. So. so. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about, though, real quick before we do get out of here is the recent uh, DC Comics version of the Flintstones. That Thank they you. Do. Nice. Good to mention that. Yes. I mean, I think that's the most relevant thing from the Flintstones of the last, what, five years or decade, yeah, maybe. Probably over the last decade, truthfully. And it was really, really well done. And it was, and because it's, it's interesting because they touch on some political stuff in there, especially with... Um, the Cro-Mags and the humans, you know, because, you know, you don't see true – you see the modern cavemen as the Flintstones and Bedrock and everything. But in the comics, they touch on what happens to the – what happened to the Neander – like the Cro-Magnums and the Neanderthals and stuff and, you know, how they were looked down on. And, you know, they were like a subculture to the, you know, the modern – humans and modern was, stone age family exactly and it was it was, it was really very well done i was actually really surprised and you know i was like a oh, flintstones comic and mike at titan was like dude pick it up it's not going to be what you're, you expected and it was so i was so glad that i did i have not read it yet i i i was leery of this like sort of a new hot take on the flintstones um but um I, I am curious to check it out. Um, I'm curious to check it out because, uh, and I, I read an interview with the, I remember when it first came out and I read an interview with uh, the writer, oh, man, I'm trying to blank. I'm blanking on his name right now, but um, he had said that he was not a Flintstones fan. He didn't grow up watching it or whatever. And I'm like, is that the guy I want writing the Flintstones? <laughs> like, like not as someone who's not a fan, like, um, but apparently 
uh, his take on it is pretty interesting and probably the most interesting thing uh, that they've done, like I said, since the live action stuff. I mean, I know they've done a couple of animated movies uh, with the WWE, one of them, I think, and um, uh, some other things. But right now, it seems like the franchise is kind of on hold. Is that is that fair, guys? Uh, there's nothing really new related with i think the, the wrestling one was one of the last projects they did with the flintstones yeah um i'm not i'm sure they're going to do something with the flintstones sure I, sure I, you don't you heard. don't let that ip lapse right <laughs> I, haven't heard anything. I, I know there was the seth mcfarlane flintstones uh, right, which never actually happened right happened right yeah um although i was sort of looking forward to kind of seeing what he was going to do um, with the franchise, but I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know right. what happened, why that deal didn't go through. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't know either. I don't, and, and maybe, you know, I mean, I, I probably was not as excited. Again, it's one of those things I was not excited about. I mean, I liked Family Guy, but I didn't want the Flintstones to be Family Guy. Right. right, right. And, I, and I wasn't, especially after watching American Dad, I wasn't sure that Seth MacFarlane could do something that was what I feel like is more traditional for the Flintstones. And yet, you know, seeing what he's done with um, uh, uh, that's what's the show called? The one that he's on now, um, the science fiction show. Oh, the Star Trek. Orville. Yeah, the Orville. Oh, like yeah. that makes me feel a little bit better. I'm like, okay, maybe I just didn't give you enough credit because I mean that's a that's a love letter to Star Trek. Oh yeah. And if he had done the Flintstones kind of the same way, I think maybe that would have been something. Um. Um. But uh, I mean, yes. Uh, any sort of so any final thoughts on our on our Stone Age family from Bedrock? Uh, Mark H. Is there anything we haven't mentioned or anything that? Uh, you think uh, needs to be said about the Flintstones? Well, I would say this. If you're interested in watching it, I think it's streaming on HBO Max. I'm not absolutely sure on that. I do know they're available on DVD, and the DVDs are really nice sets. So if you're a DVD person, uh, they're definitely worth picking up. You're talking about the original series? The original series, yes. And I think Pebbles and Bam Bam is also available uh, you know, obviously I'm not as familiar with the later stuff after that, but, uh, you know, if, you know, if that's something that you're interested in, I certainly check it out. Um, and maybe with down the road with HBO max, maybe they'll, uh, decide to do a new series down the roads at some point. Yeah, like there's I, always hope. Like I said, there's, it's definitely an IP that I can't see last, like, being dormant for long someone somewhere is going to be like hey we need to use this <laughs> I'll, I'll say this much at least they haven't used it overused it like they have scooby-doo <laughs> i mean Sco- Sco- scooby-doo has been rebooted so many times you know frankly the only ones i'm interested in watching it re-watching are the original Scooby-Doo Where Are You in the Scooby-Doo movies and after that I'm out Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what that's a, that's, a, that's a fair point they do have a similar trajectory although Flintstones has been around for a lot longer but yeah and even the move to live action around the same time yeah yeah good point good point but yeah you're right we do get a lot of Scooby stuff and uh, not so much Flintstones these days and that could also be that you know I think the family sitcom drama that sort of programming is not as 
relevant and, and prevalent as it used to be. So I think that might be you another see, thing. You just don't see as many sitcoms, even live action ones, as you used to. Right, right. You know, any, any, every, every, everything's the procedural. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'll get a Flintstones procedural. Uh, dun, dun. Um, I think it, they could have fun with that. Uh, uh, Mark M., any final words on the Flintstones from you? Yeah, just some quick stats uh, that I wanted to mention earlier. Um, you know, the Flintstones, you know, we talked about it being the first primetime, you know, series or situation comedy animated. Uh, there were six seasons, 166 episodes, eight spinoffs, and 17 TV movies and specials. Um, oh, and also uh, a theatrical thrown in there as well. You know, the man called Flintstone. Um, I think the Flintstones is 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 interesting because you know it did sort of create what the prime, what a newly produced primetime animated series is is supposed to be. Um, and I fe- I, fe- I feel like once the cast was well, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm losing my words here, but once the Flintstones was created, that kind of set that kind of set the tone for every primetime series that would come down the road animation-wise. I mean, you know, you had the Jetsons and Top Cat and Johnny Quest, but there was another show called Where's Huddles that a lot of people don't remember. It was basically Fred and Barney in the NFL. Uh, that was like a summer series. So imagine this. Fred and Barney in the NFL married to Josie and Melody from um, Josie and the Pussycats. Wow. <laughs> that's, I, I, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a, that's a deep cut, Mark. Yeah. Um, you're hurting my head, was, Mark. You're you know, really hurting my head. <laughs> well, anyway, that's what those character designs look like. Um, but, you know, I feel like, the, you know, when The Simpsons broke its broke the Flintstones record, there was no other animated comedy record to be broken other than the Flintstones. Yeah, you they know? had that so, record for a long time. Exactly. You know, 166 episodes, that's a lot, you know? And uh, and I feel like the, the, the Flintstones and the Simpsons are sort of related in a way because the circumstances of how those shows or why those animated sitcoms were created was because of circumstances due to the, the, what was going on at the networks. You had ABC that was really trying to bring in new viewers through animation. And then you had Fox that was basically doing the same thing, trying to take on the three established networks and bring on, um, you know, something new and different animation wise. And uh, so I feel like both of those shows are similar. It's almost like television sort of repeated itself. The Flintstones was created and then television repeated itself and The Simpsons was created almost under the same, you know, forces that were happening in the industry at the time. So I feel like those shows will always somehow be connected. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Mike? Well, I think pretty much, you know, you guys have said it all. You know, I just, if you can find anywhere on cable, on Cartoon Network, or one of these streaming cha- stations to be able to watch the Flintstones, 
go back and watch the early episodes. They're a ton of fun. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's great. And each one, you know, Fred comes off as this really, you know, loud, you know, burly type of guy who does have a heart. And it's always Wilma that always finds the soft spot that he has. And, you know, and it's, it hits home for a ton of, you know, married couples or even just people who are dating and such that, you know, how it ties together. And in some ways, it almost seems like Barney is the little angel on Fred's shoulder. <laughs> and it's it's just really awesome. It's a ton of fun. And try to watch if you can get through the most the whole series because it's out there. And it's not like there's missing episodes or stuff. Hell, you could even see the commercials with the Flintstones smoking cigarettes out <laughs> on YouTube. So, you know, it's pretty it's pretty awesome stuff. I just have fun with it. You know, as a kid, you know, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and there's an amusement park in Virginia called King's Dominion, and they had a Hanna-Barbera land, and all the kids' rides there were Flintstones, and it was awesome. You know, so, and that's where, you know, the bumper cars I did as a little kid was the Flintstones bumper cars, and they looked like, you know, the cars in the Flintstones and everything. The only thing is they didn't want you to touch the floor while it was cars were moving, you know. Man, I would love to see someone, some theme park, bring bedrock, like a bedrock area to life. That would be, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Um, I, I would, I would be there. I would be there for that. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of uh, Flintstone theme parks. Um, one was in South Dakota, and the other one was in Arizona. Mm. And uh, I know that some of the face groups, uh, some of the groups I'm in. They posted like, I mean, like actual fans posted their visits to these parks. But I think they probably might both be closed now. You know, yeah. they were kind of, I guess they weren't making as much money right, right. over so, the years. But it yeah. just tells you how popular the Flintstones, I mean, really are or were. Yeah, and, still and, are, I think. Yeah, uh, Mike, I, I'm surprised that we got through this whole discussion of the Flintstones and you didn't mention Weird Al. Well, I wasn't going to, you know, Bedrock, <laughs> you know, you know, yabba dabba dabba do, you know, it's always awesome. You know, I can that, never, I can never hear, it, I can never hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers without thinking that's, of, you know, dabba dabba do time, dabba dabba do time. It's but. uh that's one of my favorites of his parodies actually. But, but his modern again, parodies we'll say. Yeah, but also the theme song is pretty amazing too. You know, yeah. if we didn't even talk about that, you know. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And the fact that it wasn't the original theme song, which you know, is another right. thing that, that blew my mind. I'm like, what? Like I because I've never heard anything else. Uh, when it went in syndication, you know, they just used that and uh, the not only the theme song, but the opening, the whole opening segment of him. They're meant to drive in, getting the big rack of ribs, you know, going home, throwing the cat out, you know, the cat throwing him out. Like, it's just all like, I mean, in our DNA, it feels like now. Right. Like, it's just a they're pop culture phenomenon. And so hopefully uh, they continue in some form. But like you guys said, uh, they're around. So uh, check them out if you are not familiar with the Flintstones or if it's been a while, you know, go back to Bedrock um, and, uh, and, and celebrate with us uh, their anniversary. 
uh, their happy anniversary, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will be right back uh, with this after this quick segment, and then we're going to close out the show. everybody, Michelle here with an Iconic Rock Talk Show moment, and today we are saying goodbye to uh, DMX, Ractor and Rapper. Uh, passed away Friday, of course, April 9th, the week after suffering a heart attack, allegedly, I'm not sure that's been confirmed, allegedly due to a drug overdose. His drug issues, his legal problems, his times in prison, as well as his career highs and lows, all very well documented, and his, his former public publicist did a story on Instagram and said people always asked him about his regrets and DMX told him if he had the chance to do it all again he would not change a thing he did not want sympathy he was somebody who uh, lived life to the fullest and enjoyed living life to the fullest I saw some stories uh, since he passed uh, that kind of proved that uh, saw something with him dancing at an Albanian wedding. Don't know how that happened. Saw a cute story from Gabrielle Union who said uh, how much he enjoyed watching uh, Golden Girls reruns in his trailer on the set of Cradle to the Grave, and they used to watch them together. So, like everybody, uh, a complex um, and unique person, and uh, we bid him goodbye. And things are still kind of weird with the pandemic. Record Store Day is happening this year, not once, but twice. Um, the drop dates are Saturday, June 12th, and again, July 17th. As always, they have tons of stuff, something for everybody. So you need to go to the website, recordstoreday.com, check out the list, see what you're interested in, and this time be sure to check the date on the list so you're not at the store on the wrong day. Uh, some of the things that jumped out at me when I was looking at the list, uh, the acoustic album from Prince, The Truth, picture discs for The Cure, Faith and Wild Mood Swings, um, The Replacements, Outtakes and Alternates from Please to Meet Me called The Pleasure's All Yours, a picture disc from The Best of Judas Priest, uh, the first vinyl release of Warren Zavon's Preludes album on Sky Blue Vinyl, box set with a book. That was the album of his... Um, treasure trove he left behind of demos, unreleased tracks, rarities. Uh, there's country stuff, Tim McGraw, there's Sublime, St. Vincent, there's live stuff from the Ramones, Sinead O'Connor, Richard Pryor. So much stuff. Go check it out at recordstoreday.com and then get to the store one or both days. That's it for this week's uh, Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. We'll catch you next time. Ya no hay orgullo. No hay esperanza, solo desolación. Coming to us from Buenos Aires, Argentina, Lucas Zopi's film, Dominion Evolución, is a selection at this year's Miami International 
Film Festival. Lucas, welcome. Hello, Dan. So, how how are you holding up in in Buenos Aires? How how's how's life these days? Well, we are still in quarantine, but we are more open with more activities thanks to the vaccine that came from the Sputnik B that came to Argentina, and we are. Uh, the government is trying to distribute the vaccine in the hospital. So the, the and and we are having like a procedure that we have to do with a program that we have to subscribe to that program so we can have the the day so we can go go to take the vaccine. Right. We are in that kind of a situation here, but activities are slowly open up. Right. You know? You have uh, bars open, you have uh, cinema, of course not. Theaters were open because of the summer time, but uh, a few artists were getting uh, COVID, sadly, and they have to close again. So it's very difficult, you know, to open up a theater and the artists to get COVID and you have to close again. and. And we are trying to to get the vaccine as fast as we can. But we also understand that the process of all the population to have the vaccine is very slow. And they have to take care of themselves. And also they have to take conscious that even the vaccine is here, the COVID is not gone. Right. Even even those that take the vaccine have to take care because you can take the COVID to you and to contage. To you can another. still spread it. You can, even though exactly. you have the vaccine, you can still spread COVID. Exactly. And it's apropos exactly. that we're we're speaking about this uh, because your film Dominion Evolution kind of tackles some aspects of of yes. this crisis could you could you walk our audience through give us a, give us a brief summary of your film the film is about a scientist that is infected with a virus and he's locked up in his laboratory in 2050 in Argentina and he's really desperate to find the cure by himself because he doesn't trust in the Russian corporation that claims that already have the cure so what this scientist, his name is Victor Bertram, is trying to do is to, as I said before, to find a cure by himself, but he runs out of supplies. So he asks himself, should I have to die with my own ideals or accept this strange vaccine that I don't trust? Right. Because I didn't make it by myself. So... When that happens, uh, an agent from Russian Corporation arrives to his laboratory. There is where this character must to take this difficult uh, decision. Right. And well, what has happened then is that he finds out that the person that had the vaccine that is from this Russian Corporation is beyond a human being, actually. It's more like an inhuman being that right. is pretending to cure humans and that is one of the things that this film deals is that appearances can be deceptive in that way. Right. And yes, as you say that, um, this film deals a little bit with what is happening right now about this uh, competition with the vaccine. Right. As I say early in the interview, that you asked me what is happening right now in Argentina. Well, 
when we hear the news about the Sputnik V and you have maybe a few people that are saying, why the Sputnik V and why not the Pfizer or why not the... Sure. And, you know, the government is doing everything that they can to get all the vaccine. But this sense of competition between different kind of vaccine that comes from different kind of countries, in this case of the short film, comes from a corporation. Right. I didn't pretend to say, all right, this corporation is that country. Sure. Far from that. Sure. I, I say, all right, a corporation because it doesn't have a flag. And that is deals kind of with what is happening right now, this sense right. of competition with the vaccine. And the crazy thing is that I made this film back in 2016. I wrote the script early that year. Oh, yeah. wow. And well, I ended up production the same year, but I had to make some work on, on post-production in 2017. And it was at the time, for some reason, I didn't uh, distribute to festivals. And I don't know, I have it in my computer. So, and so when last year, when the COVID happened, I watched the film again. I say, all right, I think that there are a few things that deals with what is happening right now. So right. this is the time to distribute the film because sure. after this, you don't have the same force that had last year. So, right, right. So this was all, you were already in post-production when the virus hit. Exactly. exactly. Okay, okay. And uh, I made a few, uh, some few changes in post-production. And when, when you do this kind of uh, short films and, it takes so long to, to get distributed. You right. watch again and see different things and say, all right, I have to change this because this doesn't work. So that was it. That was the Dominion evolution that is uh, current today in the film festival. Uh, where can everyone find your work on the internet? What are, What is your social media presence, uh, websites? How, how can people follow your journey out there on the internet? Well, I have an Instagram page that is Luke So, or you can find me as Lucas Sopi on Instagram. And also, uh, the Dominion Evolution have his own Instagram page. I have an IMDb account, so they can find out uh, the journey of this short film, all the awards that have received last year. He have his own webpage that is also Dominion Evolution. You can find me on Facebook, and there I, I made a few. Before this short film, this short film was made in a period where I was a film student. Okay. I studied in the university here in Buenos Aires, and we made this short film in that period. Right. We were all students back then, and we have the, the big challenge to actually do a sci-fi film without having much of uh, experience sure. with this the sci-fi is always difficult to do. It's like one of the genres that is... Yeah, budget-wise and all that. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Exactly. And we made this film with uh, $704 at the time. There you go. Well, it uh, looks like you made it with $700,000. It's, it's a wonderful-looking production. I can't wait to see the full version. Uh, that is Dominion Evolution by Lucas Zopis. Uh, Lucas, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Godzilla versus Kong. 
Giant monster movies are always up there on my list. A movie where two monsters fight and there is a light storyline as well. That is exactly what I was expecting with Godzilla vs. Kong, and that is exactly what I got. I had a good time, and I enjoyed all the monster fight scenes, some of which never really seemed to care about the laws of gravity or physics, but who cares? It's two giant monsters fighting. I even, to a point, enjoyed the non-monster parts of this movie. I enjoyed the Kong human storyline way more than the Godzilla human storyline. I just felt more for those characters, and I thought the little girl was adorable, and I am so happy that Kong was protecting her at all costs. I also enjoyed the opening credits, talking about the other monsters, and how Godzilla and Kong got to be the two dominant monsters on the planet. I do wish we could have seen some of those fights too, past just the clips from other films that they showed, but it was still really cool to see that kind of like basketball bracket style monster fighting because I do love seeing me some monster battles. I do wish they had connected the movies a bit better though. I guess the guy who was plugged into the Mecha Godzilla was supposed to be related to Ken Watanabe's character from the earlier Godzilla films. So I do wish that stuff like that was at least, you know, put in there a bit better with a good one-liner or a little bit was a little bit more clear. But overall, this was an enjoyable enjoyable film to sit back and just have fun with. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Let's thank our guests for being here. Mark McRae, thank you, my friend. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Um, a lot of fun talking about the Flintstones and uh, uh, brought back a lot of great memories for me, you know, growing up and also watching as an adult, you know. Um, uh, I've been a Flintstones fan for a long time. So thanks for inviting me and having oh, me here. Oh, it's our pleasure, you know. You two actually, the two Marks are like our go-to cartoon people, so it's pretty awesome. And you know, we'll have we'll, we're going to be doing more cartoon stuff. Do not worry, us cartoons—it's a given. It's a pretty much you know, so it's pretty awesome. So, anything you want to shout out about, sir? Uh, yes, um, you can check out the best Saturdays of our lives podcast. Uh, on the ESO network, uh, where I host the show with uh, the awesome Dan Clink. And I am also a co-host with Dan Clink uh, on um, Thunder Talk as well. So look at, uh, you can look at Best Saturdays as an eight o'clock show and Thunder Talk, you know, you might hear me curse, you know, maybe in the 11 o'clock show, <laughs> as an 11 o'clock show. Um, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at... Uh, uh, McTeasel, M-C-T-B-S-O-O-L, and on Instagram, um, 
as the best Saturdays of our lives. And uh, you can also check out my website at uh, tbsool.com, which are the initials of my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. So, yeah, all those places. That's awesome. That is really awesome. And here I thought you had the TBS because you used to work with Turner. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people think that, but it's just one of those weird coincidences, you Mm, know? Exactly. So that is awesome. Well, thanks for being here, sir. And Mark Heffernan, dude, it's like you're also our go-to cartoon person. Thank you, as always. Uh, Thanks for having me on board for this one. Uh, I don't have a podcast to promote, uh, so... (laughs) You don't... Do you have just something to shout out about or something Uh, that you're... I just want to... I just uh, wanted to say I do appreciate uh, Mark McRae's podcast. It's... It's very, very good. As as a listener, I can say it's one of the best uh, podcasts about animation out there. Um, I hope, Mark, at some point you're going to do a show on the uh, video game cartoons because that's one I'm looking forward to at some point. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, your wish is coming true because we just recorded uh, a video games uh, cartoons. Uh, so uh, we recorded part one. And we're going to record a part two, you know, uh, just a quick preview, Atari stuff first and then Nintendo a second and and how the game releases kind of push the Saturday morning strategy. So it's coming. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, there's a lot to touch on on those. A ton yeah. of those. That's very awesome. So, Mr. Mike, cool. we made it through another one, sir. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Yeah, something which is unfortunately not my pleasure. But oh, um, I know where you're going. Last week, we uh, ESO family, ESO Network family, uh, one of our good friends of the station, uh, Derek Ferguson, passed away suddenly, uh, very unexpected. Um, he's a writer, um, frequent Facebook uh, poster, um, mm-hmm. podcaster, man was everywhere. Um, and, uh, it's a big loss, big shock. We're all still processing it. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I was looking, I know he's been on, uh, we had him on the show several times, uh, from the early days, you know, we are celebrating our, our new 12th season, right. On this show, 12th year or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's been there. Yeah. He's been in there. Uh, he was on, uh, he first, he was in the geek seat in episode 120, um and oddly enough the last episode that he was on was uh episode 203 the subject was surprising deaths in fiction which i think is just very strange looking back on that now um and i just am cursing myself because we didn't have him on more uh he was he was always a great guest and uh and even though i never met him personally um uh, you know through his facebook group which i still can't pronounce the name of usuro mero or something like that um uh but you know i saw posts from him every day um he was a very caring and concerned individual very intelligent individual and uh his legacy especially in the in the neo pulp uh current pulp scene is is enormous like his, his legacy is enormous there um, and he will definitely be missed. It was a shock to everyone when they, when that, when I think it was his wife who announced it, um, on Facebook and 
everyone at first thought it, they were people were joking about it, and he died very suddenly. It wasn't like he was sick or anything. It was just I know he had health problems. Yeah, um, but so, not but 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 it, there was no. You're right. There was no lead up. No, it wasn't like he even had COVID or something or you know like a something you know that he was had cancer you know like oh you know poor Mark but no it is it was just it was Derek was gone you know just like that and it shocked the heck out of us you know for a while you know Mark had posted quite regularly on the ESO Facebook group and you know up until couple weeks ago he has was a regular poster in there and it was i i'm just still shocked and it was just it was crazy it is just crazy you just never know when somebody you love or care or like could be gone and Don't that's take people the, for granted man no never take anybody for granted at all so you know i'm just you know be grateful for what you got, and I'm not going to do a shout-out after that. It's not, you know, I don't want to go, hey, there's a TV show I watch. <laughs> no, it's not appropriate or something like that. There, there is, it is important to note that there's several people that I know that are working on uh, uh, honoring his legacy with uh, programs, with uh, writing programs, with awards, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So his legacy will continue. But, um, yeah, it's unfortunate that we lost the guy. And, and yeah, all I can think of is how many, how many missed opportunities we had. Like, it's been way too long since he's been on the show, et cetera, et cetera. But, and I know we never met in person, but oh, yeah. um, you know what? Uh, that's, that's like you said, Mike. It's don't, you know, just don't take people for granted. No, don't take anybody for granted, you know, and or anything for granted in life. And, you know, it could be over just like that. And I'm not trying to do a cosmic snap. I promise. You know? <laughs> no Thanos snap. No Thanos. I'm not wearing the glove, so it's okay. Okay, that's good. That's <laughs> so good. I left that back at home. You know, the other side of the house. So you know, it's pretty awesome though that you know we get to talk about this, and we got to we have him in our hearts and we have him in our memories. So he'll never be gone. And he wrote. He has books. He has you know so much literature that he has done that hopefully, you know, will be appreciated by generations to come. And that's, you know, almost makes him immortal in some ways. So it's pretty, you know, pretty awesome if you want to think of it that way too. So let's um, wrap up the show now. And, you know, we're going to be back again next week. And we are looking at another anniversary next week. We are doing Attack of the Block. So it's the 10th anniversary already of this one. I'm shocked on that. You know, it feels like it was just yesterday that this came out. And, you know, but then again, it feels like it was yesterday we started episode one of the show. So, you know, then some people say we haven't gotten much better since episode one. So it's okay. So it's pretty awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about the 10th anniversary of that. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting actors in this one who've gone on to many different things one fought stormtroopers others drive the tardis it's pretty awesome so it's gonna be a lot of you know interesting stuff to talk about so with that being said thanks for listening to the earth station one podcast we're powered by nsc you can find them at 
nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can find Earth Station One, though, wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and Audible. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. We're available, you know, wherever great shows are found. You, you look up the great shows down in the sub notes is Earth Station One. So you could definitely find us there. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Michael Gordon, of course, Mark McRae, and Mark Heffernan. All Thank the marks. You, all the marks. You know? <laughs> and we even had Mark on, interviewed a Mark earlier in the show. So it's like anyone who's Mark, come on onto the show tonight. You know, yeah. So, thanks again. Exactly. Thanks again for listening. We will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe. Hug your loved ones. Get your vaccinations, folks. Please. We will see you soon. Peace. And we're done. Boom. Yabba dabba doo. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.